Amen. Man, it's good to be here. I don't know about my ability, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 22. Um, I'm excited. The reason why I'm excited in part is just because of where we are. I mean, it's just good to be a Christian. And part of that reason is because I, I can see and know because of what God's Word says and reveals to us, what's happening in our culture, why everybody's so, uh, and what's happening and where it's going and to have the confidence in knowing what God is doing. And it's just exciting to see. And part of that is, is where we were last week. We've been be doing a series called It's Just Better Together, How to Win at Home. And the whole idea is if we can get this, this notion of better together, winning at home, healthy marriages in particular lead to strong families, which lead to strong churches. But it's this notion that um, we can't do this on our own. And so last week, uh, we were broken yet redeemed. I have an example just to show you of what we were talking about, what that looks like. Remember, we're all broken, and then God has to put us back together. And there's a Japanese pottery term for that, right? And so I think, do I have a picture? I thought I had a picture. Oh, maybe not. Well, there's the word. It's behind me. Oh, look it. It doesn't show up there. I didn't know that. <laughs> See, I'm not much good or anything. But this is it, isn't it? This is what God does to our life when we come to Christ, is He does this remarkable thing. I'm not any better off than anybody else in my brokenness, and then the world tries to put itself back together, right? Just like Humpty Dumpty. But listen, all the king's men can't put it back together again as much as they try and want to. It's only Jesus Christ that can put it back together, and in such a way to where it can be used again because it's redeemed. And the reason the world doesn't like that is because it doesn't like the offer God is making because you have to let him put you back together, right? And so that's where we began. And in part, even before that, the reason for all that is, is because the revelation of God's word is what we're standing on. This is the truth claim in Christianity and your faith in Christ that everything comes from. Deviate from this and you're just left in a, in a pile. Have you seen those rooms where you can actually, you actually pay to do this? The, I forget what they're called, but they're just a lot of junk in a room. And, you're in this, and you start throwing it and breaking it. <laughs> People pay to do that. <laughs> Only in America, seriously. <laughs> Save all your, all your garage sales, just bring it and we'll have a, you know, we'll do it, we'll do it at the camp. We'll make a fundraiser and you just break stuff. You know, it's like 60 bucks an hour. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and yet, the world tries to put themselves all back together again, and they can't do it. And then when they see something as beautiful as that, it makes them angry because they're unwilling to submit to the nature and character and will of God. The point is, we all know we're broken in our sin, and yet God's restorative love and what he did at the cross for you and for me to redeem a people, yes, we still have the scars. Those become something that we remember, but makes us relatable to other people. Yeah, I, just like what Jill was sharing this morning, I went through this, and that left a big scar, but there is hope, there is this because of what Christ has done, and he can put it back together again. It's not the same, it's different, but it's together again, and there's hope in that. Without him, we are just broken, trying to make our own meaning, and we end up in hopelessness. So today, this week, we're talking about better together, how to follow Jesus well. Matthew 24, let's begin there. It corresponds to our scripture reading this morning because it relates directly to that Deuteronomy and family life and relational life and what that looks like and how it's formed and what it does to us and through us and the same day the Sadducees came to him saying uh, nope that's not the right one verse 34 Matthew 22 I'm a little above that but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So remember Pharisees, Sadducees, not on the same political party, kind of. They just didn't like each other. And so they pitted one another. 
And so the Pharisees found out, oh, the Sadducees didn't have a good argument, so let's come up with a new one. Let's ask them a question. And so one of the Pharisees said, hey, a lawyer asked him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the whole law and the prophets. What I want you to key right here at, at the beginning is the word first. And we'll get there eventually. How do you do life better together to win at home following Christ? Jesus, in another part of his teaching in Luke 14, talks about this. He says this, For which of you desire to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, he's not able to finish, and all who see begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build but was not able to finish it. That's pretty simple to understand, isn't it? You've done a project. Jackie and I are right in the middle of a project, and that's kind of the tension. You know, one, the weather's coming. My windows aren't in yet, not for another month. It's just going to be colder. I just want to get it done. I just want to be finished. But the interesting thing is Jesus is using this physical example that we can all relate to for something totally not related to anything about building something physical when you read the context of where that is in Luke chapter 14. He isn't talking about physical buildings, but it is a physical example of a spiritual truth. And what preceded that and that text in Luke 14 is if you don't bear your own cross, you cannot be my disciple. That's the cost he's referring to. And sadly, many Christians will read that and, and then you'll think, well, okay, it's all up to me. What do I got to do? I got to start doing and building and rah, right? And I got I to gotta do this. And then we forget what the Hebrew writer said, too, in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. Let us run with endurance the race that was set before us. There's the cost, by the way, verse 2. What do you do? You look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of God. We forget that Jesus is the one who is founding your faith and he's the finisher, he's the author, he's the all-encompassing. You don't do it by yourself, in other words. You, cannot, you can't do it by yourself. There's no means for you in your brokenness until you're redeemed for, him to, for you to do it all on your own. It's impossible to do. So you're not alone, in other words. We are building far something more Important than just buildings and things and stuff. But like John talked about in his offering meditation, it's, it's the heart. We're building relationships. Horizontal relationships and one specifically vertical relationship. Relationships that will last for eternity. So how are you building? What's the foundation you're building on? I got a couple examples. Um... How many of you play Jenga before? I have grandkids, so we play Jenga a lot. And, uh, and in fact, I think Ray gave us a, you know, my dad or Ray, somebody, was it? I don't remember. The two-by-fours, you know, so it's like the human, it's the big version, which is just a lot of fun. And all it is is just two-by-fours, <laughs> just cutting pieces. But this is legit. So this guy's the guy that does this. If you, I mean, you can check him out on, on YouTube or whatever. His name is Calvin. He holds the world record. And I just want to give you an example. Isn't this crazy? Do you, do you know, what do you notice about that? It's built on an angle. And it's built on one Jenga block. <laughs> Isn't that something? So he's, he loves physics. He loves the science of all that and how all that works, right? But he holds the world record for the biggest stack. And that's the next one. The next slide. That's the world record. 1,512 Jingas on one. And you can YouTube this, too, because it's a video. Um, and it's like dominoes. You know, last week we talked about Legos. I thought, hey, Jenga's this week, right? <laughs> and so you watch him do this. They have this time-lapse video of him doing all this. And you can see it in the video. It starts to, it'll, because it's going so fast, it'll wiggle. And you're like, oh. <laughs> and it does that a couple times. And then he's done, and he steps back, and he's got his camera and whatnot. And it's not like five seconds. And what happens? Boom. The whole thing comes down. It is really amazing. 
but it's resting on a precarious foundation, isn't it? See, when it comes to relationships, no one in the right mind, and you didn't do this when you got married or when you woke up this morning. Man, again, I can't see. Remember, students, young people, junior, senior, high students, remember your parents. I share this. Your parents do not lay awake in bed at night trying to mess up your life. They don't do that. They don't just think, oh, I can't wait to do this to them because it's going to be great for all of us. They don't do that. No one wakes up. You don't wake up that if you're married, especially if you're a newlywed or whatever. You don't wake up and go, man, I can't wait to screw this up. Nobody does that. Right? But it happens, doesn't it? Which is, again, why I always refer to my incredibly awesome, wonderful wife as my incredibly awesome, wonderful wife. Because she has to put up with me. (laughs) And in those moments when it's difficult and when it's hard. All of us desire to have and grow in a better and orderly relationship, we will, that honors God as Christian people. Why? Why is that so valuable and important? Because compared to the world, they are stable, they are sustainable, they are peaceful, they're transferable. It can be taught, it can be, it can be implied, just like Deuteronomy chapter 6, you're, you're teaching these to your children, You're raising them up. And that gets transferred. It sounds awfully familiar to when Jesus said, hey, go and make disciples and teach them to do everything I've commanded you. It sounds awfully similar to that. And everybody wants those kinds of relationships. But again, we have to go back and remember, but I'm broken. I don't do it well all the time. And God is redeeming me. He's making me into something that can be used. Um, there's an author, his name is John Van Epp. He wrote a book called Becoming Better Together. And in that, he postulates five keys to honoring God in relationships, um, that you can do this. And he takes scripture and he pulls these out, and they're in a specific order. And I just want to give, he calls it RAM, he calls it, it's a relationship attachment model, and that's just what he calls it. But I want you to think about these things because... Um, these five keys you can use in any relationship. So look at young people. Hey, wake up. <laughs> Don't have to be married, right? Has nothing to do, these relationship keys work in every relationship, whether you are married, not married, doesn't matter. Your relationship as a son to your parents, daughter, parent, grandparent, doesn't matter, they work. Why? Because they're coming from this foundation, you don't, I, I hesitate to say this, but you don't even have to be a Christian to make it work. Because God's reality is true. You work it. You pull this out. You see these truths and it will work for you every time. Guaranteed. So here they are. Three things. And one other caveat, or five things. One other caveat to this is look at, you, you, you don't look to the person you're sitting next to and go, hey, these are for you. <laughs> There's none of this. Right? We do this in Reengage, which is coming in November, which I'd encourage all of you to, to participate in our marriage uh, enrichment um, discipleship um, because it's a wonderful thing. When we talk about drawing the circle, look at You step into the circle. It's just you and God in the circle. Your spouse is not in there. And the reason for that is because you're allowing him to work on you because you have your stuff, and then your spouse has their stuff, and that's like 90% of it. If you can get that, the other 10%, you'll get together and go, okay, um, and you can start you know, maybe doing this, but you'll do it ever so gently because you understand now. (laughs) But these are really helpful, I thought. Here they are, to know, to trust, to rely, and commit, and touch. To know, to trust, to rely, commit, and touch. Five keys. Let me just work through these. To know. Everybody wants to, to be known, to be fully known. Everybody wants to, to, to know who they are in the, in the deepest of senses of that. What we feel about life, how we do life, our hopes, our dreams, everything you want to pursue with your life. These are also not static because if you've been in a relationship for, I don't know, like two seconds, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't stay like that, right? It's always changing. Circumstances, things happen in your life that make the dynamic of that relationship always moving, always shaping. And so I guess here's an example. So you've probably heard that it's kind of a joke, right? When you got married, you know, I, I told her 
my incredibly awesome owner, if I, I told you I love you, I'll let you know if it changes, right? You've heard that. It doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> it doesn't work that way at all. Because it keeps moving. The relationship keeps moving. My, I'll give you another quick example. My son, um, God bless him, um, I, when he was in high school, and so he would come home from school, and mom, lovingly, so, how'd it go today? And after a while, he came and goes, Dad, this is driving me nuts. I come home, the moment I'm walking through the door, it's like, question, 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 question. <laughs> and I just get so frustrated. I just, I just want to not think. I just, you know, guys typically in general, we have a, what we call a nothing box. And we like to go into nothing box because there's nothing there. It's wonderful. Ladies, in general, you don't have one of those. And you don't get the fact that we can have one. How can you think about nothing? I don't know. But I'm glad I do. And now I'm thinking about something. Why are you in here? Right? It's like that. And he would get, he would just get so, it cracks me up now. But he was legit just, you know, just all this. I'm like, look. Here's how this works. All your mom wants to do is connect with you. This is how she does it. She just wants to know about you. And she's going to ask you what happened and what color was it and what did it smell like and all of those emotions that you don't want to have to deal with. I says, here's the deal. Do this for a week and tell me, come back and tell me what happens. You give her 10 minutes when you come home, she'll leave you alone the rest of the night. <laughs> because what happens, he immediately does his... And I'll say at the time in high school, like myself, my man mind, selfish and immature, just shuts down and, and just, and so mom's like following him around, asking these questions, <laughs> right? And it just was, he didn't, was just frustrating for him. Just give her 10 minutes and she'll just leave you alone. Guess what happens? Isn't that it? That's this idea of knowing. I just need to know because you're my son, you're my daughter, you're in this relationship, and I just need to know about you. That's how we process. We're talking about meaningful conversations. We're not talking about, hi, how's the weather, and all those sorts of things. But it's quality and meaningful conversations that we have. Do you have that kind of depth in those relationships? And again, they will vary depending on what that relationship is. And it's, again, young people, look at, listen, don't shut off because, man, if you get this and you're not married, man, you are miles ahead of everybody else in this culture. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you're married or not. This works all the time in those relationships. Again, granted, that they're varied in your relationship and the depth you desire to go, but it's all about knowing who the other person is. And if you don't do that, what ends up happening right off the bat? Typically, in general, in a relationship like that, you start to isolate. You will start to pull away. You will start to disengage. You will not be known is what ends up happening. There will be distance in whatever relationship that is. And once the distance filters itself in, then all the other stuff starts to filter in that wants to keep you divided. Again, whether friendship, marriage, it doesn't matter, but that becomes a wedge, and it pushes you apart. I mean, you don't have to go any farther than Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? Ran away. They isolated. They tried to hide. See, Jesus came to restore knowing. Specifically about himself and his immense love for you. Revealing himself clearly and completely so that he could be known. Because without his revealing, there's no way for us to really know him. He's the one that had to take the first step. Look, he even says that my sheep hear my voice. If you know his voice, that means you know him. They follow him. He even asked his disciples, didn't he? Who do you say that I am? Well, you have to know that. There has to be that relationship. Even, and honestly, sometimes I think in Christianity, we think when we get to these places, okay, it's doing, especially for the guys. We like to conquer it, kill it, smash it, break it, rah, right? 
we want to check the boxes, in other words. That's what religion becomes. But not when you go back to Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many miracles? Didn't we check all the boxes? I showed up to church every week. I'm doing all this stuff. And then he will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's not about checking boxes. It's about who you know and the relationship that you have. Why is it that Jesus can say to, this, to his disciples, hey, look at, see this widow coming into the temple? Watch this. And the comparison that he gave with two little copper coins that she gave more. Why? Because there's a relationship. There's a whole other issue to that is because that shouldn't have happened to the temple anyway. They should have been taking, there's no, there no way she should have given her last two mites. That the whole church in this is the temple should have been taking care of her as a widow. It's more about judgment in that case. But he says, look, at she gave everything out of her need. She gave it all, not out of her abundance. Because she knows. See, knowing keeps you close. doesn't keep you distant. And you and I need to do this every day in all those relationships. If not, it will affect these next four P's. One of those means in which you can know one another is, is maybe start praying together. Remember the prayer cards last week? They're still out there. If you didn't get one, I'd encourage you to get one. Do it together. One of those unique factors in your relationship, if you're struggling in any way, start praying together as a couple. Just start. Here's number two, trust. With the knowledge of knowing comes trust. And trust manifests, it shows up in itself as confidence and peace and security with another in a relationship. It flows from this application of what you know about the other person. That's where it comes from. See, what you think you know about a person will inform you to whether they can be trusted or not. Can I trust you? Well, if I just met you, what's, where's that level going to be? Well, it can be cordial, right? And be friendly and all that, but uh, I'm not going to turn my bank account over to you, maybe, right? <laughs> uh, or, or, hey, can you watch my kids? I know I just met you in Meyer, but can you just take my kids for a minute? We don't do that, right? N nobody does that because we don't trust you yet. So it behooves us to make sure we know the truth about the other party in the relationship. And I just want to pause here for a minute so you can track with me. Look at this, these principles, horizontal relationships, vertical relationship. It works the same. It really works the same. Why is that? Because if you have this, if you have a misunderstanding in your knowledge about who God is and what he's doing and why he's doing what he's doing, at this point, your trust will just squirt off into nowheresville it won't make any sense to you because you had this expectation you've had something that's been disconnected or you thought god was this and he's not living up to my expectations therefore i can no longer trust him i'm jumping ahead a little bit so trust comes from what you think about what you know it begins the process of peeling back all those things that we present in life that are our personality and how we look and how we act and all those things and you'll only open that door or you'll only set that trust level at a certain point with all those relationships that you have. So therefore, to use an example, in your marriage relationship, man, that trust meter should be just through the roof. So when I leave or go somewhere without my wife, she's not worried about what I'm doing. I'm not going to hurt the relationship in any means, in other words. It's why we need to understand last week that even though I'm broken, God is putting me back together. See, if you don't understand or see your brokenness at the beginning, your sinful nature, you'll be stuck in a prison of your own making. And Jesus said he came to set you free from that. The scripture puts it this way when it comes to trust. Um, we walk by faith. See, trust has to do with the future, not the past. And so when you think about knowing someone and trusting someone, 
two things are happening. One, that's all internal at this point in, the, in this cycle of relationship. How much you know somebody and whether you can trust them is all taking place inside of you. And so here's the third one, rely. Here's where it expresses itself. This is where the relationship goes from what you know in your heart and gets put into action. This is where trust is tested, where you can see, am, am who I say I am, do you trust that? Do you trust that about me? Because now it's actually showing up. See, I could tell my wife I love her all day long, and she appreciates that. But you want to know what she appreciates more? That I'm actually doing that. <laughs> it's not just words. It actually shows up. It shows up in our relationship. See, this idea of relying is like this fulcrum relationship teeter-totter, if you will. It's the fulcrum where you could go either way. Do I trust you? Do I not trust you? And it's this reliability that we have in our relationship. Can I depend on you, in other words, to meet my needs and even my wants? Can I do that in this relationship? Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Go into all the world and teach them to observe everything I've commanded. James says it this way, in essence the same thing. I will show you my faith by what I do. I'm not just saying, hey, me and Jesus were like this, and I know God, and God's real. It's, that's where you start, the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning, that's the beginning point of that. But I will show it to you by what I do. Here's the fourth one, and that's commitment. Commitment is like the glue that holds the relationship together. It's found in endurance when the relationships aren't like what you thought they would be. This is where long-suffering shows up. We are to be long-suffering to one another. Scripture says, again, why? Because I'm broken. God's putting me together. And I'm trusting God in this relationship that I have that he's putting Jackie together and I can have this long-suffering attitude without, you know, getting too fired up about life, which I tend to do. <laughs> it's where you come to terms in a relationship that says I will never give up, I will never give in, and I will never quit, even when I want to. Even whenever all the feelings that show up, that's exactly what I want to do. Why? Three reasons. Because one of those, you made a promise. You have a priority that you'll be always present. Promise, priority, and presence. Promise, and again, not just in a marriage vow, but that's typically maybe where your mind just went. It's the promises when you remember that day that you're making to the other. And remember, it's not based on what your spouse is doing you're making the promise it's you to this it's it's that direction it's not this direction it's that direction i'm making a promise and we, and we talk about those vows better for worse all those things that's what i'm going to do this direction it doesn't matter the response it does but it doesn't matter because i can't control the response i can try but when i do i'll just gonna mess up the relationship even more because i want control I don't want to dominate or I want to whatever. And so we make these promises. See, that way it's not based on the performance of my spouse. Because that would just be too easy. It's all your fault. You're not measuring up. You're not doing, and you fill in the blank, right? I made a vow no matter what. That's regardless about how you respond. I gave my word, in other words. That's promise. Priority is just that. Again, it's not a box that you check. It, it's the relationship, in other words, is not a to-do list. If I do this, 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 then, and you fill in the blank, right? That's not it. It's really the other way around. It's the reason that you have a list at all is because it's a priority. This is the work when I was first married that my dad tried to impart his wisdom on me. Marriage is work. I'm like, what? <laughs> now, I got started pretty young, 
fact, we had a young man at student ministry last Wednesday. Um, he was 19, and I had to pause. I'm like, 19? Wow. What was I doing at 19? Oh, yeah. I got married at 19. <laughs> wow. What my dad meant was, is relationships are hard, they're messy, they're joyful, but you got to work to get there. That was his implication. And quite frankly, after 38 years, I understand that far more now than what I did when I was 19. <laughs> I get it. And it's wonderful. Thank you, George. It's good. It is. Even when it's hard, it is good. Because God made it that way. Because it's the recognition of dying to self. Considering not your own needs, but the needs of the other. And again, not just in a marriage relationship, young people. If you're not married, you're single. That's awesome. Being married doesn't make you anything else but married, okay? So you can stay single. That's cool. That's wonderful. But it still works in, in those relationships as well for you. And when I get out of balance, my incredibly awesome, wonderful wife will remind me, and she'll usually say this, hey, we are on the same team. <laughs> Last is presence. Promise, priority, presence. It's having the mindset, specifically if you are married, that they are ever present with you, even when they're not. Even when you go off to work tomorrow morning, your separate ways, they are ever present with you. You are taking them with you wherever you go. You are carrying them along with you in your mind and your heart throughout the day. Jackie's really good at this, again, to remind me when I get home. So, did you think about me today? <laughs> okay, so this is where all the men go. Oh, well, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> nope. I'm in another box. And, and so, again, this is how we've worked this out. So, if we've, we've learned how to do this, I think, pretty well. So if I'm in that, and, and she'll go, okay, pull the Jackie box out. <laughs> I, need you, I need the box. Focus. So while, while she's reminding me, hey, I'm right here. Pay attention. Be in the moment. Be here. Presence. How many of you give yourself permission to do something that you wouldn't do because your spouse isn't there? Or as a son or a daughter that you would refrain from doing because your parents were there with you. Knowing that they wouldn't approve because they're right there. I get, used to get this asked all the time on student ministry trips and mission trips and all the things that I was blessed to be able to do. Um, one of the questions coming back, uh, parents wanted to know, especially with their high school students, is how did they, how, did, how were they? And the question behind the question is, is everything I'm pouring into them, is it working? Are they, are, they, are they mature? Are they maturing? Are they doing the right things when I'm not there? That's what you want as a parent. Because when they graduate, you're not going to be there. And you want everything, that, that all that pouring and training and, and maturing in the Lord. The Deuteronomy 6 that we just read this morning, it, that's what you want for them. You want them to do it on their own. That's what we all want. presence see if you practice presence it will change your thought process it will change your actions so when you get to thessalonians and the scripture says pray without ceasing you have a better understanding what that is it's not like we're walking around praying and bumping into people during our day you are taking the lord with you what did he say i will never leave you or forsake you i am always with you and when you think, remember, it goes back to knowing. When you think that he has left you, you have to go back to that and go, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not knowing properly. Something is amiss in my thought process. Something's not quite right because I know that's not true. And we have to do this realignment. Lastly is touch. And our minds will typically drift to the idea of romance and affection and intimacy and all that, but, but touch is just vital in so many other ways. I learned this a long time ago. Um, her name was Sue um, at the church Jake and I attended. Um, 
she had a successful career. She was in her 60s, but she lived alone. I think she lost her husband. And for her, being a part of a church, now, you got to understand um, how valuable this is in a non-sexual way, okay? It's not about that. But she was alone. And I can remember, <laughs> I want to get emotional. I can remember her coming on a Sunday morning. And, and part of the reason just listening to her talk about this piece, this idea of relationship and touch, is that at church, it's the only place that physically happened because she got hugs. <laughs> Never dawned on me, ever, until she tried to explain this to me. The loneliness that she sometimes, so all those feelings and emotions because no one was touching her. Look at the, it works the same way when you're born. If babies aren't touched, if they're not handled, they don't develop. It's critically important and vital. There needs to be times in our lives when using words is not what's needed. In fact, it would be better if they weren't even spoken. It's just someone to give you a hug or someone just to sit next to you and be with. You don't have to say anything. We, and I know it's hard because we want to help, especially, like Jill said, when you're grieving and there's hard things happening in your life. You want to say something to fix it. And there's nothing that you can do to fix it. And so sometimes it's just better just to be with and sit with and not say anything at all. To put your hand on a shoulder or to give a hug or those kinds of things. To let the other person know I am with you. See, listen, the, the fascinating thing about this is that God's hardwired us specifically and specifically in marriage for touch. Because when that happens, there are certain chemical hormones and things that get released in our bodies. Specifically when it comes to marriage and specifically when it comes to the more intimate side of that, that it attaches us to the other. It's called imprinting. It's crucially important. Those things that are happening in our life when it comes to touch, specifically in a marriage relationship. Now look, at these things are, are in an order for a reason. Knowing, trusting, relying, committing, and touch. And each one has value. Each has value in those relationships. I have a little graph to show you. This is maybe what it could look like. And you have to set these. It'd be interesting, I think, to find out if you did. A, maybe you guys, if you are married or, you know, if you're still living at home, your kids and, you know, do this to your parents or whatever. But if you would adjust those sliders for your spouse or for your mom or your dad or, and then they do it for you. And kind of compare the two, wouldn't it? Kind of see where they are. I do this and re-engage. You know, again, for years or two, um, I, I have this theory about uh, marriage relationships, especially when it comes to men. Zero to ten, rate where your marriage is in your mind as a man. Ten being really good, zero being really bad. And so I have this theory that and then I'll usually ask the spouse, okay, write this down, write your number down on a card, and I won't show it to them. In general, on average, and I'm usually pretty accurate, the men are always two points higher than the women. <laughs> uh-huh. Right? As a guy, man, it's always a 10. What is wrong with you? <laughs> What's there to improve on? <laughs> I love that. And then she goes, yeah, but guess who's the barometer? And the dial. Oh, okay. There's work to do. See, when it comes to relationships, where do most of them begin in culture? Where does the world? Remember the Jenga? One foundation. In our culture, in the world, your kids are growing up in the world. We grew up, and it's just more prevalent now, which is why you have to spend an awful lot of time. Where does it start? It starts typically with what? Touch, doesn't it? In a relationship, in a worldly relationship, where the world's driving all of us, which explains an awful lot, doesn't it? And so we circumvent all the other components of building a solid relationship, a strong relationship. And just like the Jenga game, oh, it looks really good for a few seconds, for a few minutes maybe. And then what does it do? It just collapses. 
And what we try to do, we try to start there in a physical relationship and then backfill all the rest to try to make it stand up somehow instead of starting where God says to start it and resting on all five. And more often that leads to more dysfunction in relationships and we wonder why we struggle, why there's so much confusion. Well, now you don't need to wonder why. See, all five components have to be functioning to have a strong, stable, joyful relationship either horizontally or vertically with Christ. Remember about having the plan on all the pieces from last week and everyone in the relationship following the plan? Here's the plan. Here's the pieces. But following the plan, maybe you've, maybe you've thinking, man, I've messed this up already. Is there any hope for me? Yeah, there's hope. I'm living proof of that, being married at 19 and all the struggle that, that took place to get to year 38. There is hope. That's the whole point of being redeemed and God putting us back together again. That's the gospel. That's the good. This isn't, this isn't something that just, just is falling off a cliff. That there is no hope. Oh, well, and you just, you just quit. It's work, fair enough. But with God's help, you will and can overcome to get that relationship all put back together again because he's working in you and for you to do that very thing. We want strong marriages that lead to healthy families, which in turn grow strong churches. And we all want that as Christians. In fact, even if, again, if you're not one this morning, this will work. And the reason I know it works is because it's coming from the creator who created it all. Whether you believe that or not, that part's irrelevant. Because it's outside of me. It's objective. But what if you haven't done it? What if you think you're so broken? Well, that's a good place to start. But is Jesus putting you back together again? Or are you still broken? Here's the key. Everyone has to start in the same place and be, must be pointed in the same direction. And this is where our texts come in. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. We'll finish with this. Verse 38. This is the important part for this idea of relationships and growing them and, and, and having that fellowship with Christ. Verse 38 says, this is the great and what? First commandment. Now, just a quick caveat. Jesus is summing up the law. What do we know about the law? Well, as Christians, we should know the law doesn't save, doesn't help anything. All the law does is remind me how broken I am. It doesn't fix anything. It can't fix anything. That's not its purpose. The whole law's purpose is to remind me that I am broken and I have this immense need in my life for a Savior. That's the point of the law. But it is still foundational. And Paul, when you get into Romans, it doesn't make the law bad. It is good. It's a reflection of God's nature and character. And everything, therefore, begins and ends with him. Again, Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus was preaching, what did he say? Seek my kingdom what? First. Then all these things will be added unto you. What does that do for you? Matthew, again, at the end of that sermon, everyone who hears my words of mine... Uh, it will be like a wise man who builds his house on the what? Rock. That's why I can have this confidence and surety in my life. Even in the brokenness that I may feel, or even in the brokenness that I cause, I have a means of which of redemption and repairing only in Christ to redeem those relationships. Again, it doesn't matter where you are in life. Sustainable, stable, peaceful relationships that will last and will pass the tenets of time, even in the circumstances you may find yourself in, come from knowing Christ, from following Him. You remember um, a year or two ago, I forget when it was, um, there was a condo in Florida um, that just collapsed. Remember that? Out of, out of nowhere, right? It was like early in the morning. 98 people died in their sleep because it happened at night. 
right? And what is interesting is when they investigated that, again, it, it was a 40-year-old building. It's not this is 40 years old. I mean, well, that part, <laughs> the old part. It's not that old, is it? Right? I mean, some of you are like twice that old. <laughs> it's not that bad. It, it was a young building, and there was no storm that night. There was no earthquakes. I mean, Florida is kind of a funky place anyway, and high water tables and not very stable, all that kind of thing. But they take and, and do that, and, and you take the proper precautions to build. But what they found out is that's not what happened. They knew this for some time, that when the walls started cracking, what did they do? Patch and paint. <laughs> That'll fix it. Just hide the crack. More paint. Apparently, they even put, uh, um, created a cement planter box to hide a big crack or something. Uh, and so you get the gist of it. All they did was just hide it. They didn't fix it. Well, what was the indication? Well, the indication is when it all cracked, when it starts to move. And immediately you can understand that, wait a minute, okay, someone at the very beginning of the project did not do what they were supposed to do, right? Uh, again, it's a physical example. of Jesus said, you know, build, my, build your house on the rock, not sand. That's the, that's the idea of relationships. And in the middle of the night, the whole thing just collapsed. Awful. An awful tragedy. The point being is the stakes are extremely high in your relationships. It's not a game like Jenga. This isn't, this is not for those who think or can't think the world can't be redeemed. It can be. That it's not too far gone. That when you look out and you see everything in our culture and where it's going, that you just kind of throw up your hands and go, this is crazy. Well, it is crazy because they're broken. Why would you expect a culture who doesn't know Christ to act like Christ? It makes, that makes no sense. That's insanity. You're asking them to do something they don't know how to do. So what's our role? Follow Christ. Follow Him better. Mature, in other words. Not perfect. To be that example in this community as a church community and in your own families to live this out faithfully. To be a light on a hill, if you will. Knowing that they are not going to appreciate that whatsoever. And that should be a good indication to you as a Christian that this spirit is dwelling in you. Why? Because the world hates you. <laughs> I know it's rather strange, but Jesus said that. Hey, they hated me first. Don't be surprised. And you're seeing that in this culture, in this grand land that we call America, whose founding was on Christian principles. If you don't believe me, come tonight. You'll see some of that. And that you feel like it's being lost. All those principles seem to be dissolving right before your eyes. But if you don't think they can be redeemed, then what are we doing as a church, as Christian people? Our objective here is to make heaven more crowded. See, it doesn't matter the circumstances of a nation or a country. What matters is, are you planted on this? So, 150 years ago, when this was highly exalted, even before that, it, when the word of God was exalted, things were, were okay, and, and as far as morality and all those things. And when it doesn't happen, when it disintegrates, that doesn't matter either, because I'm standing right here. Does that make sense? Now, I may not like the consequences of what's coming, but all I can do is what the Word of God calls me to do is to live this out faithfully, be ready for those gospel conversations where you live, work, and play. You want to make a difference. You want to turn something around. I know it's possible because it happened in the first century. Not only in the first century, it took three centuries for the Roman Empire to get flipped up. But the stakes are high. Jesus is moving to build his kingdom. And Christians need to unite in building on the sacrificial model that he's given us. Expressed at the cross. And where does it begin? It begins at home, in your heart. Dads, in particular, this is primarily your first responsibility. Am I doing the relationship according to God's plan? Am I starting in the right place? That's the first. 
that's, that's where you start, and that's, this is the direction you have to orient yourself. You're pointing yourself in the Word of God. You're pointing yourself in that direction, and you're bringing your family with you. So we're at the same starting place. Now, watch. You will may have some stragglers along, but you're pointing in the right direction. See, unless the Lord builds it, nothing will become of it. And again, the law doesn't redeem you. Only Jesus Christ can. You can only be redeemed and let Christ build your house. But you got to know him. You have to trust him. You have to rely on him. You have to commit to him. And you must be touched, redeemed by him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of grace that has redeemed us that has brought us a means in which we can come to know you that even while we were yet in our sin you pursued us you wanted to be known so father I am thankful for that very first step that you can be trusted in all you say, that you can be relied on, that no one is more committed to your kingdom than you are, that you've touched us to redeem us at the cross. Father, I pray that as Christian people, in our insecurities, in our fallen simple nature that we fight against, to be a people called to yourself, to know that this world can be redeemed and it begins right here with me. It begins right in my own home. It begins collectively with this church, this community. Father, help us to see the need that is out in this world for you. Whether it's received well or not, let us have the conviction and the fortitude to stand firmly in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.